Welcome to another episode of GBB Live. My name is Sean Coleman. Hope wherever you are and wherever you are listening, you are having a great start to your Saturday. There's been plenty of news when it comes to the Grizzlies so far this week, and it's, I'm anticipating that probably is going to be the case next week as well. But joining me is one of my favorite people to talk with in basketball. Talked with him many times before. He's been kind enough to join the show today. His name is Keith Smith. Keith, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. It, it Always a pleasure to talk with you, Keith. Keith and I have, and I looked at, back uh, on Twitter a bit ago, Keith, it, it was nearly two years to the day that me and you last talked on the podcast on Locked on Grizzlies, but Keith and I have interacted on a Spotify Green Room, and Keith now, he formerly was with Celtics Blog and is now uh, with Spot Track as well as the front office show on YouTube. Keith, that's where uh, the listeners and everybody can find your work. Yep, absolutely. That's that's the two best places to to look for me, and uh, you know everything that that I do there. Also on Twitter, uh, you can follow me at Keith Smith MBA, and anything I write or or uh, you know whenever we podcast, YouTube, or whatever we're calling, uh, well, what it is we do these days, uh, it all gets posted there. Absolutely. And and one of the things that, uh, you know, Keith is, of uh, many people, one of the things that I love talking about Keith with is I always learn something new. And one of the main areas that Keith has a wealth of knowledge on is, of course, when it comes to the NBA, you know, the CBA, contracts, financials. And that's what we're going to talk about today because, you know, Keith, you talked about it. Um, we'll get to the John Morant uh, news here in just a moment. But really also after that, I want to focus on a piece that you wrote up about the Memphis Grizzlies over at Spot Track about a week ago talking about what they're looking at when it comes to this summer, a big summer, as you put it, uh, especially from a financial point of view now and into the future. But Keith, let's start with the John Morant uh, suspension news. 25 games, I'll be honest, not very surprising. That kind of was the higher end of what I thought was going to be reasonable. But, you know, we all know that he's going to be away from the team. We know that he's going to be, um, you know, probably out until mid-December. But really wanted to, wanted to get your perspective on is what does this mean for the Grizzlies and John Morant, you know, potentially financially? You know, you brought up some good points talking with, you know, Matt Hurdlicka, Chris Harrington yesterday. One of the points you talked about is the Grizzlies could have a roster spot after five games because he's suspended for longer than then. Just when you look at this John Morant suspension, what are some financial tidbits that, you know, are, are important to know for the Grizzlies and Morant? due to how long this suspension is. Sure, yeah. It, the, the big thing is it's a it, it's not as cut and dry as it would be, right, because it's the NBA. They, nothing can be as simple as, oh, well, you just divide a salary by 82 because there's 82 games and off we go. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. So what they do for a suspension that is 20 games or longer, which this one obviously, as we're talking here on a uh, on a Saturday morning, is still a 25-game suspension. We'll see what happens with all that. But that means a, what you do is you take the salary, you divide it by uh, 110. Um, they don't hit them for the, the like big, big amount that they could, but you divide it by 110 and then you multiply it by the game's miss. So that works out to about 7.6 million uh, that John Morant is going to lose uh, in salary because the suspension is an NBA suspension and not a team suspension. That money will come off of the Grizzlies um, 
uh, luxury tax calculation. So what happens there is about half. So about 3.8 million will come off of their luxury tax calculation. Now, as it stands today, the Grizzlies are nowhere close to the tax. They're probably not going to end up anywhere near the tax. So that probably doesn't really come into play, but should they, they are going to get a, get a little bit of a, a tax credit there on that. Had that been a team issued suspension, you get no, no uh, luxury tax credit. And it's, I think that's pretty obvious to see why, right? Cause otherwise a team could, uh, you know, pull some shenanigans late in the season to, to avoid a luxury tax bill and, you know, maybe make it up to the player on the back end or something like that. So, so what happens is team suspension, no tax, uh, your league suspension, you get half the the suspended amount in, in a credit. So, so that's where it is for Ja. On top of that, you know, we don't know for certain that he made All NBA, but he was likely to make All NBA. Lost about forty million dollars there, um, off of his extension because had he made All NBA, would have qualified for that thirty percent of the cap max. Uh, that would have been about six and a half, six point seven million dollars in first year salary. Um, and then extrapolate that out. That works out to be about forty million dollars or so. Um, so in this case, you know, he, he didn't get that. Uh, so yeah, so he he's taking a pretty good financial hit here over the last little bit. As for the roster spot, um, what happens is any suspension that is six games or longer after the fifth game that the player has been out, the team can petition the league to move the player to the suspended list, which then does open up an additional standard roster spot. So in this case, the Grizzlies can get five games. So it's that two weeks into the season. And then they can ask the NBA, to move John Morant to the suspended list for the final 20 games of his suspension. And then they get an additional roster spot that they can fill at that time. Uh, so that would bring them up to 16 players. Uh, think of it similar, in, uh, but under different circumstances, something I know long-term Grizzly fans are, are familiar with uh, that when you get the hardship exception and you end up with extra players on the roster because of that, that that's where, where this could go. And that, that that's you know basically what they do is they say all right the guy's out long term we're not going to really hammer and penalize the team so let's make sure you know that they, they get you know, a little bit extra help in there i'm pretty positive that you're pro- maybe referring to the 15 16 grizzlies i think that we've got 15 <laughs> 16 grizzlies where they set the record at least at the time for most uh roster spots if i remember correctly it seemed like every yep. every other day we were having to ask for a hardship <laughs> spot so yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah now those records got blown away during the covid years here there you um, go. yeah when everybody went one way up but yeah you're absolutely right man i i, I remember you know my, i had my spreadsheets then built to you know have uh 15 players on the standard roster and i had to keep adding lines to to add Grizzlies to, to the mix because they had so many players down. And I believe, if I remember right, you would know better than me, I believe that carried all the way into the postseason as well for that team was so banged up. It did. I can't. I know at the very least we did have some. I mean, we were without Conley and Randolph, I believe, um, and I, and Tony Allen as well. I know at the very least that we did have to carry some folks that we had gotten on hardships, you know, into the season. I don't necessarily know if we had to do it during the postseason, but yes, we we were started. We were playing some players that you know you would have not ever expected to be on a playoff roster. So it was it was definitely an experience. Great great job uh, to uh, to the coaching staff um, at that time to uh, to be able to do what they did. Um, and keep the other thing. I, I I'm, forgive me if 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 the knowledge that you have on this may not be you know uh, as far as financials go. But when it comes to the appeal process and things such as that, 
you know, we, we did talk about that, the, you know, the NBA PA came out, Players Association came out, said that they weren't too thrilled with how long this was. We've seen 25-game suspensions be, um, you know, reduced before. Jermaine O'Neal, Malice in the Palace, originally got 25 games. I would say that's a, you know, at least in terms of the action, perhaps more egregious than what happened with John Morant. It got reduced to 15, but it seems John Morant has to be the one to really, you know, get that appeal process going. Do, do you think that's likely that there may be a reduction through the appeal opportunity with the, the NBA PA and John Morant? Yeah, I I think there's two two phases to this. And we're getting a lot of reporting on this over the last uh, little bit here, which is, um, you know, and this is what we're only 12 hours or so since since this news dropped um, as we record this. So more is going to come out. But one of the pieces of reporting that was out there was that the, the, the Players Association wasn't, they weren't necessarily against the length of the suspension, but they feel like the conditions to return seem to be be a problem for them um but i'm sure they're going to go after you know and say hey we want to reduce this i'm sure it's going to go to some form of arbitration and then we'll see you know where it goes maybe they knock you know five six games off this or something like that but but i don't think we're going to see this get, get knocked way way down simply because i think we're in a spot where the um the the nba is it what happened with John Morant, I don't know it's as much about the single action as it was the, hey, you did something dumb initially. We we punished you. And they felt like they went kind of light because they, in effect, gave him credit for time served when he it was already missing games from the Grizzlies. And then they come back around and it turned into – then you kind of you know shoved it back in our face, right? And, and I think that's where where the major kind of problem comes in. To you know, hey, you you came, you met with the commissioner, you talked about how you know you need to be better, and you're gonna be better, and you're gonna do all these things, and now you're in a position where you turned around, you know, in a very short amount of time later, and did it all over again. So so what we're we're gonna see, you know, maybe this one turns into a pretty big fight, but my guess is, you know, this will all get, you know, now, how do I put this? Did the good portion of this, not none of this is good, obviously, but for the Grizzly side, they now know, right? Lately, we plan it out. You know, all right, we got to get through a third of the season, the first third of the year. Uh, with hey, we got to add a point guard, we got to have something in addition to Tyus Jones on the roster because you know he's very, very good, but. Yeah, we, we we can't he can't be the only point guard we have. So so they know we gotta build out our roster and you know we, we at least know what we're doing now uh, moving forward instead of the um you know had this continue to drag out into the draft of getting part of free agency, all of a sudden you might have found yourself in a spot where man, a lot of the good options for us to go after have dried up. So at least now they know what they're doing. And then anything that comes off that suspension, you almost kind of treat that as, all right, well, that's the, you know, the, the, that, that's a little bit of a bonus help to us to moving forward. So definitely. And to your point, there is a good thing that certainty is there now that we know what's going on with John Morant. We, the number is known, but also to your point, there's still, you know, more information to come out, but, you know, shifting the Grizzlies focus, you know, in general, and also the, the focus of this podcast, you know, because again, we could talk about John Morant on day, all day, but to your point, we at least know what's going on. Let's get into some of the pieces that you've wrote. You wrote an, an excellent piece of, for those who are listening, who have not read it. Uh, Keith wrote an excellent piece about the 2020 draft class talking about you know potentially who could get extended what their extensions may look like and Keith one of the first order of business for the Grizzlies this offseason 
for the third straight year, they're going to look to extend a key part of their core, and that's Desmond Bain, probably the most unexpected part of their core. But you wrote about it in that 2020 draft piece that your expectation, five years, 207, I believe 205, 207 million for Desmond Bain. You're thinking that he makes sense for him to potentially get a, a rookie extension max. But just your thought on Desmond Bain, and, and you know, now the Grizzlies coming into you know a part of this version of themselves where they're going to start having having to pay their core, Jaron Jaw and now Bain. Yeah, so and it's funny because I got a lot of people who are like, a Max for Desmond Bain? Like, where what are we doing? And my thing is, one, there, there's, I just think, a general failure to understand what is happening with the salary cap here over the next uh, several years. The salary cap is going to go up, up, up. And now it's limited. They did agree to cap smoothing, so it can only go up 10% per year, but that's 10% max. And then the you know, let's say it's supposed to go up 15%. It'll go up 10%. That 5% will spill into the next year, and it keeps spilling over until you catch back up to where you should have been overall. So the cap is going to explode here over the next few years. We're not going to see the extreme spike of $20, 30000000 million like could have happened, but we are going to see it continue to go way up year over year. So that's part one. Second part is, I think a lot of people, and I know Grizzlies fans know this, so I'm kind of preaching to the choir here, but Desmond Bain is really, really good. He is right on the borderline of being a 50-40-90 guy, um, shooting-wise. And it's not a 50-40-90 guy who's taking you know 8 to 10 shots per game, so it's kind of, yeah, it's great he can shoot, but Yo, know, well, what is yo? Know, what does that really mean? It's a 50-40-90 guy on really good volume. Desmond Bain last year, 16 uh, field goal attempts per game, 48% from the field, 41% from three on seven attempts per game, 88% at the free throw line on three and a half attempts per game. All of those up from the prior year, uh, which were already pretty good numbers. Rebounds up assists nearly you know he, he added a, about another third onto his assists which is absolutely huge because that shows rounding out his playmaking game he's a, a solid defender because of his size and he's kind of kind of rugged a little bit on that end of the floor he can defend up a position so you're, you're talking about a guy that i don't know a lot of people realize how good and important of an all-around player uh, this guy has become and he's not just this designated spot-up shooter can get his own shot off the dribble. Uh, he can really score. The last thing I'm going to add to that is the other two guys you mentioned, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morant, both got extensions. Grizzlies like to lock up their own talent, so we know they're going to do what they can to get Bain extended. So Jaron Jackson Jr., I have no problem with the extension they gave him. I thought it was great. Challenge with the player is not always a picture of health. John Morant, no problem with giving him a max extension. He's a superstar in the league. But we got all this other stuff we're dealing with now. Desmond Bain, I know he's got, got an injury, um, but it sounds like that's something that should clear up, and then he should be ready to go. He's a little bit more stable of a star-level uh, kind of guy, all-star-level kind of guy, than the other two guys are because there's just not those question marks. So I have no problem handing him a max extension and going forward. And I think it's going to be, if not a max, I think it's going to be really, really close to it uh, for the Grizzlies just because you got to do it. You can't get this guy locked up. You don't want to start playing games and messing around to save, you know, $10 million over the life of a deal. Um, that, that's not worth it. So generally what happens is, hey, we're pretty close. Max him out and let's go from there.
Yes, and, and and to your point, just just get it done and, and then move forward. And Keith, another thing that I'll ask about this is so you know with the new CBA in mind, um, Desmond Bain will still be making the last. I think he'll make what something like three million or so this year. Forgive me if I'm mm-hmm. off on that. But then after that, in the 24-25 season, that's when he'll start making his 35 or so million. Uh, Ja will be close to the 35 to 40 million. Jaron's on a declining contract for the next three years, averaging about 25 million per year. But starting in the 24-25 season, that's when this core is going to be making upwards of potentially 89 million together as a trio. Under the new CBA, the fact that the Grizzlies are extending their own talent and they haven't had to like get core members from trades and things like that, outside of them being able to keep their assets, is there any benefit long-term that the Grizzlies are going to be able to enjoy from the fact that they've extended their own draft picks instead of having to do a bunch of free agent and trades? Or, or is it is it just natural that they're just signing their own players? Is there any benefit under the new CBA with the fact that the Grizzlies have extended their own draft picks and this core is homegrown? Yeah, unfortunately, there isn't. They, they, there was a hope that one of the things that that they might do was add a a um a, 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 like a, I don't know the best way to put this, but some kind of benefit for re-signing your own players, especially when it came out like how restrictive they were going to get on these teams that are the most expensive. And you know, we'll we'll call it like it is. It's you know, this is levied at. Hey, we don't want the Warriors and the Clippers and what the Nets were about to become. We don't want that being like a norm. We 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 want to make it hard on those teams. So, but there wasn't any kind of thing negotiated in. There was a thought of hey, if you resign your own guy to a second or third contract, you know, maybe only a portion of that counts towards the luxury tax or towards deal. You know, some even said towards the salary cap. Um, but none of that stuff came in. So that's where, you know, you get the benefit of we locked our guys up and, you know, we're there. And I, I continue to call the Grizzlies the best draft and develop team in the NBA. Um, the Miami Heat, I think, are the best development team. They just don't always draft, right? They, they tend to trade picks quite often where Memphis doesn't really do that under this this uh, this current group. But they develop guys just as well. You know, they, they've really done well uh, getting the right kind of players and the and coaching them up and making them even better. So I think what what you do get from there is the benefit of hey, we locked into our own guys, and because you feel good about your ability to draft and develop, you you can kind of keep things moving in that direction. Now, what's really interesting is in the new CBA when you get super expensive, and I don't necessarily expect the Grizzlies to ever get into that second luxury tax apron, which I like to call the super tax. Yeah. I don't ever expect them to get necessarily into that range. I think they, they will get expensive, but I don't know that they're going to be, you know, warriors Clippers level of expensive, but if they did, you're basically limited to signing your own draft picks and signing players to the minimum. And that's something that, you know, Memphis could look at and say, all right, we're okay with it if we did get that expensive um, because of how well we draft. Absolutely. that That's something that I've, I've pointed out for years, and I think that me and you have talked about before, the Grizzlies' ability to draft and develop well, that can really come into play as a strength for them as, as time goes on and this core gets more expensive. But Keith, let's let's uh, focus a bit more short-term because as you wrote in your piece over at Spot Track for the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies had, do have some needs to fill. And of course, you know, the John Morant suspension, don't necessarily know if it should impact their decisions in terms of what they do this summer, 
but it is something that they're going to have to keep on the radar as they go into next year. So we do have a small forward position that we need to feel. And, and the Grizzlies have been looking for a wing, you know, for years. Keith, if you recall, that's what we were looking for during the entire grit and grind era. But going to, you know, target like an OG Ananobi or, or, or you know, a, a significant contract that's out there on the wing. We need a money matching piece to be able to do that. But the thing that's kind of hurting the Grizzlies is that Brandon Clark is injured probably out for most of next year. Steven Adams, there are some injury questions. The need to keep Tyus, even though he's expiring deal, I'd still probably trade him in the right deal, but the need to keep him is there. The Grizzlies' ability to use a money-matching piece off their roster to go get a small forward, it's going to be hard to do. And it also seems as if a lot of these you know, clear wings that would fit the Grizzlies would fit a lot of teams. This potential home run type move that the Grizzlies could make to get that wing that they've long desired, it's not going to be as easy as it seems, especially with a lot of teams out there looking for the same thing. What are your thoughts on you know, the Grizzlies potentially going after that home run hit to fill that small forward wing position? I, I love the idea of, of making something like that happen because now is kind of the time for them, whether it's, you know, you use the mid-level exception and I think that should be plan two uh, to, to get uh, Dylan Brooks replacement. I think plan one would be, yeah, go trade for a guy. If you can get somebody like OG Ananobi, great. You know, let's go, let's, let's do that. But to your point to get there, you know, you're talking more of a stacking salaries trade where you're, you're probably sending out three, maybe four guys in a deal. And so that way, that's how you get up to that number. And then what you do from there is you you plus that up with draft picks. Now, the good news for Memphis, and I know this is probably one where they'd have to swallow real hard because we just spent some time talking about how well they draft and develop, but it may be, are we going to cash in on some of the guys we just drafted? Plus, we get to cash in on some future picks if it was somebody like OG Ananobi, who you know, we, we, we could credibly say we know that was at least a discussion point at the trade deadline. So, you know, I have no problem. Generally, I don't, uh, you know, throw around a whole bunch of names, but we know that that was at least, you know, somewhat of a consideration. So that becomes, you know, if you wanted to go that route, if you wanted to go probably cost you less in trade, um, but not, not necessarily less in the salary matching, you know, maybe you could target a guy like a boy Bogdanovich from the Detroit Pistons. You could look at somebody like that. Um, yeah, we're hearing a lot of stuff around the Chicago Bulls. If they if they were souring on the idea of signing Patrick Williams to an extension, maybe you could get involved there. I think DeMar DeRozan's probably a little out of the price range because the matching salaries probably a bit too much. Um, we've heard the Warriors are offering Jonathan Kaminga around in trade. You could get maybe involved in that. And then after that, you know, you, you start looking down a little bit further down the list and, and it becomes one of those things where, all right, maybe slightly less proven option, but you know, we could go after guys like, you know, Corey Kispert, if the wizards are breaking up fully or Denny Avdi, if they were going to go that way. So th there's a lot of different options. The Grizzlies can go in trade in free agency. One of the things that I've, I've, you know, said is you've got that mid-level at $12 million and they're clear enough of the cap that they can spend or of the tax rather that they can spend that whole mid-level and feel really good about it. Problem is you're out of the mix on the very best guys, right? You're, you're not getting into the Chris Middleton range, probably not even in the Kyle Kuzma range. Um, I'm not going to mention Jake Crowder as an option because we know we've been there, done that. Um, but what you could do then is if you felt like, you know, we feel kind of good about 
um, the ability of the a couple of the kids to step forward some. Maybe what you could do is you could go for a guy like Kelly Oubre Jr. or Tory Craig as a much less expensive option. Bring them in and kind of say, hey, you're going to play, but you're going to kind of split the reps and the minutes with with you know another guy. If you wanted to go with just another ball handling option, you could go for a guy like Josh Richardson um, could fit in there. Or um, if you wanted to just add you know more shooting on the wing, guys like Dante DiVincenzo or Max Struess could be available uh, this summer for something around the mid-level exception. So, so they've got a lot of different options. And then the last kind of thing I'll mention is um, the kids, right? You've got, ideally you would have been in a spot where you'd feel pretty good about saying, all right, let's hand it, hand a spot to Zaire Williams um, or Jake LaRavia or David Roddy. They're ready to step in. They're ready to be that starting level three. And we go Zaire Williams, I think was, Trending there as a rookie, but then, you know, coming off mostly a lost season due to injuries, LaRavia and Roddy, they flashed at times, but they're, you're, you're not going to feel great about handing them a starting spot. So, so that's probably a little bit further down on the list. What complicates all this though, and you kind of touched on it is you got to add another point guard now, because you know, Jaws going to be out for a good, good chunk. Even if this suspension comes down, it's probably still going to be, you know, somewhere in the 15 to 20 game range. So, that leaves you with Tyus Jones for somewhere between a third and a quarter of the season as the only point guard on the roster. Really good player, but that becomes, you know, he's just, he's the only one. So you got to get another point guard. And because Brandon Clark is going to be out, I tend to think probably for the whole season, just given the nature of that injury, you've got a pretty good three big rotation with Adams, Jackson, and I, I'm very high on Santi Aldama. I think he can really play and showed that last year, but you probably want one more guy in the mix there. Maybe it's Xavier Tillman, but I think you're a little bit better off if he's your fifth big. So now all of a sudden you're spread a little bit thinner than you wanted to be as far as these needs you have to plug because you're not looking for just, you know, real deep depth you're looking for guys who may be able to step in and play real rotation roles whereas you knew the small forward thing was going to be a thing now you need a point guard now you probably need another big and that becomes a little bit of yeah all right we could probably only realistically plug one or two of these needs this summer but you know that that's that's what you're paying the front office for for them to get to work to get it done Absolutely. And, and to your point, there's many different options with all these teams going after, you know, the few, you know, big names out there. We know Mikel Bridges is off the table. would love to get him, but it's not happening. OG Ananobi, Kyle Kuzman, those, but so many teams going after them. It's going to be hard. You know, your own Boston Celtics with Malcolm Brogdon, and, you know, they may be looking to trade a guard. You know, there are several different names the Grizzlies can go after. So it's going to be creative to see which, you know, option they go with plus how they do it. But a couple other things again here with Keith Smith on spot track, a few more uh, minutes with him. Keith, another option I wanted to ask you about was a Dylan Brooks sign-in trade. Now, I think that there's a couple of different options here, and please correct me if I'm wrong. You know, four teams that potentially could go after Dylan, you know, Cleveland, you know, Sacramento, those are teams that are wanting to win. They definitely could use another wing defender, you know, potentially using Dylan in a sign and trade with them, maybe for a player could make sense. Or you have teams in cap space. We know Houston has been rumored to potentially have interest in Dylan Brooks. Maybe you could use Dylan Brooks to trade to a team with cap space in a sign and trade. You get back a few, you know, picks second rounders probably, but also you create that trade exception that you could then use in the season. Could you go a little bit more in detail about how, you know, there's some creativity with Dylan Brooks as a sign and trade may not necessarily be a guarantee, but at least could be a rea realistic option for the Grizzlies this summer. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause I mentioned that at the end of the season, when 
uh, things were wrapping up. And then uh, I don't know if it was the next day, but it was shortly thereafter. And I'm very much paraphrasing, but the Grizzlies basically came out and directly said, like, we're done with Dylan Brooks. See you later. Right. And, and a lot of people are like, well, that takes a sign and trade off the table. But it really doesn't because see you later just means you're, he's not going to be on the team next year. Now, some would say, well, why would Dylan Brooks help the Grizzlies at all? Well, Dylan Brooks may say, all right, I've got all these offers for 12 million, which is the mid-level amount, but I'd really like to get 15, 16 million, which I know a lot of people are down on Dylan Brooks and all that, but this is still an all-defense level guy. He's still a guy who is inconsistent and infuriating and frustrating as he may be as a scorer. He can still carry your offense at stretches. And in the regular season, you know, when it's a, you know, a February uh, game in Charlotte or an early March game in Orlando, every once in a while, you need the guy who's like, I got it tonight. Yo, I'll go. And sometimes that turns into, I got it. And it's a four of 20 shooting night and everything falls apart and you get blown out. But every once in a while it turns into, all right, I scored 35 and I carried us. So Dylan Brooks still has a ton of value as a player, even as frustrating and infuriating as he may be as time at times. So if he wants, you know, let's say it is, you know, T-Max is over the cap and they really want Dylan Brooks. Well, and he's like, yeah, but I really need 15 million that's where a sign and trade comes in. And if it's the Grizzlies, there's a couple different options there, right? If it's a, a team that's over the cap, you could return some guys that maybe that's how you get your point guard or that's how you get your, your, your additional backup big, right? And by point guard, I obviously mean backup, you know, point guard guy. So maybe that's how you do that. If it's a team that's under the cap to your point, uh, we've seen this over and over again, teams will pay those teams uh, to make it a sign and trade by kicking them a couple second round picks to, to do exactly what they were going to do anyway, which is, Hey, just turn this into a sign and trade. Instead, they get a couple picks out of it for doing nothing more than they, what they were going to do. And then to your point, because Memphis is over the cap, they would create a trade exception for that amount um, that they send them out. So let's say they, you know, it is Houston and Houston's like, we're going to give Dylan Brooks $15 million in first year salary. If I'm the Grizzlies, I'm saying, let's make that a sign and trade. We then get, you know, we'll give you a couple picks. We get a $15 million trade exception. We can go hunting to fill one of those, those, uh, uh, spots that that they need to fill there. So, yeah, I agree. Dylan Brooks isn't coming back to Memphis. And I think the Grizzlies told us hundred percent truth how that happens mechanically that's you know there's a lot more options other than just see you later in free agency and i'm not going to rule out that he doesn't just up and sign with somebody else too that could obviously happen but you know there's a lot of things and you know i think we forget you know they they worked a uh you know pretty good deal um you know with with um uh, other teams in the past where they've made made trades they've been a very um uh, easy to work with organization, meaning Memphis, because they're very big on, hey, let's try to make this you know win-win as much as possible, um, and not you know make this into a messy you know situation that it doesn't need to be, and that that's always a good place to be in. Yeah, the, one of the Grizzlies' best trade assets, they're the the, the twenty-four Golden State uh, draft pick right now came from them, you know, being easy exactly. to with and taking on Andre Iguodala. And Keith, the last question I'll ask is this: You asked about you you mentioned about the MLE, and I'm asking this more because again, just love talking with you because always learning something. 
On the MLE, you talked about it potentially being kind of a second option because with it being up to $12 million, you may not get the same talent pool that you want with a potential trade. You may not get you know the level of guy that you want, but you could feel one of these needs. You know, I think the Grizzlies definitely could benefit from another potential combo guard, maybe if they do wind up trading Tyus. But that $12 million deal, the MLE, that's an exception that they can use to sign a guy to a multi-year contract up to $12 million. The MLE itself, how does it work? Is it only an exception for this year and then you've got to make the salary fit like it normally should the next year? Can you kind of explain for the listeners how that MLE works and how the Grizzlies can benefit from that? Can they get a guy in that 10 to 12 range that could be on the team for multiple years through that option? Yeah, so the great thing about the MLE, and this year it's gone up in value. One of the things that they did in this new CBA is they increased these exceptions because, again, if you're going to force – those super expensive teams to shed some salary. Well, those players got to go somewhere, right? So what happens is they're trying to push those guys down into a spot where it's these other teams like Memphis or some of these cap space teams, they have the ability to spend even more to bring guys in. So what happens is 12.2 million, the MLE first year salary that allows you to give out a contract, which right now projects to be up to four years and $52.5 million. So pretty, pretty strong contract there. You know, we really, you know, pretty solid. And that's up from, you know, a season ago, that was about, you know, 10 and a half million. So it went up about $1.7 million. So what happens in that case is, you know, you could do one player full amount, 12 million, uh, full four years, 52 and a half million and off we go. Your other option would be to do something along the lines of, hey, we're going to give one guy. Let's say you go a little further down the list of free agents. Let's say you were going like a Tory Craig type. And you said, hey, we're going to bring Tory Craig in for, you know, six million. You'd still have six point two million to go spend on somebody else or something else. Right. And then maybe then that's where all right, we're going to throw five million at a backup point guard or at a, you know, a backup big man or whatever it is. And that could be be your direction there. We're going to bank on that. And you can do it as it could be a one year deal. It could be two and you know, three, four, you know, you have a lot of control with all those things um, with, with that. So that that's that's kind of important to know, um, you know, that you have that in there. What's also different this year is because I know Memphis has a couple second round picks, I believe 45 and 56, if I remember correctly. Right. Um they are in a spot where it used to be what teams would do. And, and I know no uh, people are probably somewhat familiar with this because because they know they did it with Kennedy Chandler. Uh, well, once upon a time, they did it with Xavier Tillman. Um, what teams would do is they'd carve out a chunk of their exception to be able to offer guys they drafted in the second round longer contracts than, than what's allowable by the, by the minimum. And the rookie minimum is a two-year deal. So what they used to do was we're going to leave some of the exception out so then we can sign – you know, whether it be you know Kennedy Chandler, Zaire Williams, they did it when they converted uh, Kenneth Lofton Jr. Um, we're going to give them a three or four year contract with a little bit more money up front. What the new CBA did was they created a second round signing exception. So you no longer have to do that. You can basically give out those same type of contracts um, that these guys were getting and you can do that and then sign them and still have your full exception available to spend elsewhere. So just a little bit rebalancing there. So I think somewhere between their, their first round pick, the mid-level exception, and then maybe a trade, they're going to be able to fill all of these needs that they have. It's just going to be, you know, some combination of putting all things kind of together to how they flush out this roster. 
And and yes, and the good thing about the front office for the Grizzlies, we have a very smart, very planned out. You talked about it, easy to work with front office. The thing out there is you would love for there just to be a simple home run type option. But if that was available, every team would be able to be completely <laughs> yeah. every year. It always has to get creative. And Keith, one last thing, because I because I trust your opinion and I know that you have, you know, from you know, had a very close and, and intelligent perspective on the Celtics for years now. This Grizzlies young core, yeah, they, they may have taken a little bit of a step back this year compared to you know the 21-22 season. But your thoughts, it's I strongly feel I'm a bit biased that this remains one of you know the better young cores in the league and, and one of those teams where you know they're in this next wave of really having the best chance among other NBA teams of, of truly having a championship run or two in them is that kind of your thought with this Grizzlies team moving forward yeah I think so you know they, I, I I don't see any reason why you know this this menu or menu window needs to be short for for the Grizzlies I you know I, I think there's Windows are shorter in the NBA than most people think. You know, I think especially when it's a young team, people are like, oh, man, we're going to, you know, once they kind of arrive as, you know, a playoff level team, it's like, man, we're, we're contenders for the next, you know, two decades. And it's like, that's not how it works. You know, it's yeah. not even going to be a decade, right? It's going to be, you know, probably four or five year window is about, about the range we're in. So, you know, I think for Memphis, so they can extend it a little bit. Now, a lot of that, you know, it's going to, going to come down to can, you know, John, just figure it out, man. Just yeah. get it figured out. We need you on the court. You know, let's get back to, you know, being that superstar that everybody really got behind and loved. And if he does that, yeah, th things are really, you know, positive for Memphis. Cause you, you got him, you got Jaron Jackson Jr. Like I said, I think Desmond Bain gets signed. You get some other key guys um, under contract too, under very, you know, what are very good deals. They've done a good job on the, what they haven't done is overpay role players. Right, they, they, you don't have any role players on the team that are making twenty million. You're kind of like, oh man, if that was fifteen, I'd feel okay. You know, all their role players are pretty fairly paid, so I think you know they're in a spot where you can do a lot of stuff if you're Memphis, and you don't need you know we went through it. They need a small forward, but it's not like you know, oh, well, if we don't get one, we're terrible. Right, they're still going to be pretty good. They're, they're going to be you know a really tough team to deal with. So you know it's all right there in front of them. It's just you know now it's about smart you know cap management the rest of the way. So you kind of continue to have that flexibility as needs pop up, right? Because if this was a year ago, we never would have been talking about they need another big because we would have been like they're fine. But Brandon Clark got hurt, so they do need you know one more big to throw into the mix. So that turns into to a situation where you know, just stuff happens and things pop up and now we're in a spot where you know they're they can fill them out but that's what you got to do right continue to kind of turn the roster get things sorted so that you're in a spot where all right we can really do this and we can get everything into a pretty good place And hey, we'll take that, especially with you know the way that last year ended. You know, the whole point for the Grizzlies this year is just to keep churning away and making the roster adjustments to to be where they need to be. Keith, I can't thank you enough. I know that it's a Saturday morning, and certainly uh, thank you for your time. Hope you have a great start to the summer. And, and again, again, as always, just thank you for all the great information. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me.
His name is Keith Smith. You can follow him at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. Also, his great work at Spot Track, as well as the front office show on front office show on YouTube. And the wonderful thing about Keith is he takes time to talk with others. Yesterday, I know that there were a few Matt Heard Licka, Chris Harrington, Grizz fans know them for their coverage of the Grizzlies. He took time to help them kind of understand, you know, more of what was going on with Jaw's situation. So just a great overall gentleman and a very intelligent one when it comes to the NBA. His name's Keith Smith. Make sure to give him a follow. For Keith, my my name's Sean Coleman. Thank you so much for joining us here on GBV Live. We'll talk to you again soon.